<laughs> hey, welcome to RUF. Um, my name is Matt Howell. I'm the campus minister here. I think there are maybe some extra chairs if y'all don't want to stand for the next hour and a half. That's how long I'm going to be. Um, uh, did everybody get a handout, a little sheet thing? No? Do we, didn't I have a little pile here? Oh, yeah. Can you just disseminate? As, uh, as she and Thomas are passing along the things, um, I'll just wait till they're finished. Thanks, JT. Uh, as they're passing along those things, I just wanted to make a quick little announcement. Well, not so much an announcement as it is a, a disclaimer. Um, if you are not familiar with the music at RUF, with the, uh, with the words of RUF, you're in good company. It, um, basically what we do at RUF is take old hymns and uh, update them to newer music styles. So... If you're like, man, this verse has this song has like six verses in it. Uh, that's that's okay. They take a while to ease into. I understand, uh, but but our 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 hope is that once you kind of ease in, you will grow to love these songs and enjoy them, and uh, they will be fun to sing as opposed to confusing to sing. So uh, uh, that's. The only disclaimer that I had. Y'all got the little sheets? To remind you where, where we're headed this semester in RUF is that we are tracking through the storyline of Scripture. We're, we, last week we did kind of just an overview, intro. What, what does it mean to say that the Bible is a story? And so this week uh, we are going to start right at the beginning. Last week uh, we, we noted that there are four basic chapters, four basic acts or movements to the plot line of the Bible. Creation. Fall, redemption, and consummation. A big word we'll get to here in a couple of months or whatever. And I'm going to say that every week, and it's intentionally going to be annoying, but I hope that those four acts burn into your brain and you can never forget them. So that's where we're, that's where we're going to begin. Today we're going to begin in Genesis, as you see. Many of you probably pick up uh, your Bible sometimes when you want to read it on your own, and you pick it up and read it in the New Testament. And that's great. I commend that. But you have to realize you're really entering into the story about halfway in. And you know, like when, when you come into a movie or a TV show and you come in late and you're kind of confused you're, and you're asking your friends, like, Who, who's that guy? What, why, why did he just kill her? Like, <laughs> you, you become that guy and, uh, or that girl. And we don't want you to be that guy or that girl. So we're going to start right here at the beginning. And before we even start... You just have to know, I'm not going to answer every question that this passage raises. I'm not going to be able to provide all the answers on uh, uh, dinosaurs and uh, evolution and whether or not Adam had a belly button or not. I'm not going to be answering those questions because in many ways the Bible doesn't answer a lot of those questions. The Bible is not intended to be an exhaustive, uh, you know, review of, of history, but there are things to be learned and things to be uh, explored here. So all that said, you're not going to have all your questions 
answer. In fact, they're probably going to be even more that are raised. But that's okay. We'll talk about them. So look, uh, let's look at Genesis 1. And I'm not going to read this whole thing. You could be um, thankful for, for me for that. But uh, I gave this to you so that you can take it home and read it on your own. I'm just going to read the first couple of verses. Uh, first three verses. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. Actually, I'm going to keep going. God saw, well, I'm only going to read up till verse 5. God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night, and there was evening, and there was morning the first day. Let's pray. Father, um, there are folks in this room that are uh, questioning why in the world they're even here to begin with, why they uh, are in this room, why they would be sitting in a room uh, where people are talking about the Bible and singing songs to you. They are wondering why in the world they decided to come in here. Father, there are folks in this room that are bored of Christianity, that are just uh, think it's irrelevant to their life now that they're in college. There are folks here that are burdened with their own guilt and shame of poor decisions they've made here even in the first week and a half. We pray, Father, that for uh, all these folks here in this room and for me, would you come and would you, would you teach us? Would you show us what you have for us in this uh, famous passage of your scriptures? We pray that you would come and teach us. Help us. We need you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to be talking about what the Bible says about creation tonight. Two quick points uh, I want to make tonight. One, uh, what is creation? What is the doctrine of creation? What, what do we mean by that? And then the second point is, why does it matter? What is creation? What in the world does it have to do with us? So, okay, first question, what is creation? Basically, you could summarize what the Bible means by creation in a little nugget, a little phrase that you could say uh, that creation is God created everything out of nothing by His Word. God created everything out of nothing by His Word. I want to zero in on uh, three little aspects of that. Who created? God created. Verse 1, in the beginning, God. Before there was time and space, there was God. It's kind of even weird. You can't, our English language, you can't even conceptualize and articulate it accurately, what it means to be, to have something exist before time. Because even the word before is kind of a time word indicator. God existed before there was anything. There is God. And so he decides to create. And uh, I was listening to this interesting debate between an atheist and a Christian, and it got to a really kind of intense part of the conversation. And the atheist is just kind of drilling the Christian with these questions, and he's asking him, okay, so God's there floating around in nothingness. He's just kind of in this dark kind of void, and he just decides to create people. Was he bored? Did he just want to be entertained? Was he lonely? Did he need somebody to, to love and to care for? And that's why he created? And he's just kind of drilling these really thought-provoking questions to the Christian. And perhaps some of you have raised those same questions in your mind. I mean, why is all of this here? How do we explain why God decided to create all of this? Uh, well, was it because he was lonely? Because he had to satisfy some insufficiency in and of himself? 
Well, you wouldn't really know this by reading uh, the English, but the Hebrew word for God here is actually plural. It's Elohim, and uh, it, it's, a, it's a plural word. But the, the verb that it's connected to, created, you know, in the beginning God created, is a singular verb, which grammatically... It just doesn't make any sense. I mean, it's like saying, we is going to class, which some of you may be saying to be cool, but, uh, or uncool, but uh, gr- grammatically, it's just incorrect. And so here it is in the Bible, verse 1, oh, we've got a grammar problem, unless something else is going on, and unless there's a little hint here of something that's made clearer in Scripture. The Bible is very clear that there is one God. Sort of the theme verse of the nation of Israel was Deuteronomy 6.4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Christianity, Judaism are monotheistic, one God. And yet, within God himself, there is a plurality of persons. There is a community of three persons in one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, three in one. How there can be three in one I don't know, you don't know, we'll just leave it at that. But the Bible affirms God is Trinity. God is a community in and of himself. So why did God create? Was he lonely? The Bible's answer is no. There was nothing uh, lonely about God because he is having an eternal, infinitely joyous community with himself. Each of the persons of the Trinity are communing and indwelling in each other and, and joyfully adoring and serving and enjoying God for who he is. So was God lonely? No, absolutely not. Since eternity past, he has been perfectly content with himself. So the question is still there. Okay, so why did he create? Was it something, was it a lack in him that he had to satisfy? Actually, no, it is the exact opposite. The reason God created is not because of a lack in him, but it's actually due to the abundance of him. It's the natural overflowing of mercy and goodness of who he is. Okay, so think of it this way. If God is the greatest being in the universe, then the the most loving thing that he could do would be to create others so that other people could get in on who he is. So when he creates, it is the overflow of his own goodness and kindness to create a stage of people to let them get in on who he is and glorify him. One author put it this way, God did not create us to get the cosmic infinite joy of mutual love and glorification, but to share it. I'll repeat it again. God did not create us to get the cosmic infinite joy of mutual love and glorification, but to share it. In other words... The the greatest thing that God could do for you is to give you himself. That is the greatest gift he could ever give. So he creates the universe, creation, fills it with people to let others get in on who he is. So that is uh, who creates. You know, back to our little creation nugget. God created everything out of nothing by his word. So that's who creates. Okay, what does he create? Everything uh, out of nothing. Uh, verse 1 again. It says that God created the heavens and the earth. This is a, a Jewish, a Hebrew way of saying basically everything you see up there and everything you see down here, God created it. Everything in between the heavens and the earth, God created it all. And it says that God created it out of nothing, meaning that there was not... Uh, 
there's a lot of pagan and uh, primeval explanations to the origins of the universe and say that there's this pantheon of gods that are kind of fighting with each other and out of this primordial battle, the universe is birthed into existence. But the Bible says no. God is secure. God is established. God is not challenged or frustrated. He creates simply because he desires to. You know, when we think about our own types of creation, uh, either it's music or painting or writing, what we are doing basically is rearranging pre-existing elements into a way that gives me, uh, meaning and beauty and uh, so that we can enjoy it. But, you know, if we're, if we're painting, there's pre-existing colors, right? And we just take them and arrange them in a certain way so that it looks nice. Or if it's uh, music, we're rearranging sound waves to make them sound nice and beautiful. God is the one who is truly creating, speaking everything out of nothing. Ex nihilo, as the Latin is that you may have heard or have not heard before, but that's okay. Uh, God creates everything out of nothing. Lastly, we see how he creates. By his word. Verse 3. God said, let there be light, and there was light. God speaks, and it's done. Unbelievable power and sovereignty and ability to be able to speak in universes come into existence on the spot. I was in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, when uh, Hurricane Katrina came through. Uh, I was living, uh, I was actually staying with Evan Scroggs, some of you know who that is, and Hurricane Katrina blasted through and left everything in utter decimation. And so really for the next two weeks, we are glued to the television, watching, watching what happened down along the Gulf Coast, watching what was happening in Mississippi. Do you realize that they're still cleaning it up? They're still there working, cleaning up with this big, huge hurricane blew through. And I remember one of those times watching the television, you know, I have that scrolling you know, thing at the bottom the, the, on the news channel, and it said, President Bush to speak later today. And this is, this is not uh, an insight into my political affiliation. This is no political statement whatsoever. But I thought it was interesting. It really struck me. Here is, you know, theoretically the most powerful man on the planet, President Bush, and he's coming down to speak. There's not much his words are going to do in light of this enormous catastrophe. I mean, he can encourage people, but it's not like the most powerful human on the planet can do anything with his words. God is the exact opposite. He speaks and it is done. He speaks, earth pops into existence. He speaks, light comes into existence. His, the power of his word is powerful. <laughs> So some of you are like, okay, Matt, that's interesting. God created everything out of nothing by his word. Thanks for that. Why does that matter? What does that have to do with us? I'm glad you asked. Uh, three, three points, three reasons why it matters. Why it matters for you and I to get our hearts and our minds reoriented to the biblical storyline of creation. Creation is good. Creation is art, and creation is a clue. Here's what I mean. First one, creation is uh, good. I don't know if you picked up on this or not, but there's this recurring phrase throughout the whole thing. I kind of listed it there in bold and italics. God saw, verse 4, God saw the light was good. 
Verse 10, God saw that the dry land gathered waters. He called the seas and God saw that it was good. 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 Seven times over and over and over and over and over, God is rejoicing, celebrating over what he has made. He is calling his created physical world good. And the reason why this matters is because most of you don't believe this. Most of you have some things that you look at in creation and say that it's not good. Certain aspects of the created physical world that you have in your mind and you have said, uh, that's not good. Sure, we go out on the parkway, we go camping, we look out to the mountains, we say, oh, that's awesome. Obviously, that's good. Obviously, that's good. But what about sex? Some of you think that aspect of creation is dirty. Bodies, physicalness, that's, uh, that's less spiritual. What about food or drink or sleep or just pleasure? You have constructed an arbitrary list of things that said this is off limits for Christians. Or, either that or it's not nearly as spiritual as something like prayer or something like uh, worship. We have these lists in our mind, whatever it is for you that says this is off limits for me, this is... Uh, This is bad. We have things in creation that we look at and say, this is bad. When God says, I've created it good. I've created it good. And the creation story begins to challenge this instinct in every one of us and say, what does it mean to be able to look at creation, to be able to look at physical things and say, God actually thinks this is good. C.S. Lewis has this great quote in uh, Mere Christianity, and he says this, There is no good trying to be more spiritual than God. God never meant man to be a purely spiritual creature. That is why he uses material things like bread and wine to put the new life into us. We may think this rather crude and unspiritual. God does not. He invented eating. He likes matter. He invented it. (laughs) That's C.S. Lewis for you. Think about the incarnation. God came down in the person of his son Jesus in a physical human body. After Jesus died, he was resurrected in a real physical human body, and he still is a real physical human body in heaven right now. If you are a Christian, if you are united to Jesus by faith, then at the end, you will be resurrected with a real physical body as well. God likes physical things. God created matter. The Bible, you could theoretically argue from beginning to end, is about Creation. It's about the earth. It's about physical, tangible, material things. And so when you say stuff down here is crude or, un- or unspiritual or just nasty, we need to get our eyes focused on spiritual, ethereal, heavenly things. You don't realize this, but that's as- actually uh, Gnosticism. Gnosticism is a view that sort of partitions the world off into one sphere and, and another. You sort of have the spiritual, heavenly realm, which is good, and then you have the gross, earthly, dirty, physical realm down here. And the Bible, from beginning to end, challenges that. It says it's not more spiritual to be a minister than it is to be a farmer. It's not necessarily more spiritual to pray than it is to uh, work with your hands. Creation is good. We can talk about all the different aspects of how creation is uh, ruined and marred and uh, has been affected by sin. We'll talk about that here in a couple of weeks. But the thing to realize is, is that the world is created good. 
Second thing, the reason why this matters to you and me is because creation is art. Here's what I mean by that. Uh, If you step back and you look at what God is doing here, he is acting as an artist. How did he create uh, the the initial uh, world? Okay, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He creates everything. But what was the condition of this initial creation? Well, you get a picture of that in the very next verse, right? Verse 2. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. The picture of of the world is that it is initially created formless, meaning that it's kind of this uh, goop, (laughs) and it's empty, meaning that there's nothing in it. it, There's no one living in there. And so what he does over over the next six days is he begins to fix the formless and the empty problem. If you look at this little chart that I put down uh, at the end of uh, your little handout there, we see the first three days of creation, God is fixing the formless problem. And so what he does is he creates light and dark, day and night, separates the two. You can read back through the text on your own uh, later. Verse 2, or uh, day 2, he creates sea and sky, separates the, the waters above and the, and the waters below. Day 3, he, he, he creates the fertile earth, speaking fashioning, shaping this formless, inhospitable goop into a world that is uh, the earth that we know it as today. And so what's happening in the second three days? He is now filling it. He's fixing the empty problem. He first fixed the formless problem. Now he's fixing the empty problem. So day four, he's filling the light and the dark with the lights of day and night and with the stars. Day five, he's filling the sea with the fish and the air or the sky with the birds. Day six, he is filling the earth with animals and with mankind himself. So what do we see him doing? Acting as a divine artist, creating the raw material, the raw matter, and then begin shaping it, fashioning it, populating it, crafting it, sculpting it into something that is beautiful, something that is uh, awe-inspiring, something that is wonder-evoking. He is the divine creator. Think of it... uh, Think of it this way. Think of the variety of creation. There is a uh, pastor in Memphis. His name's Jeremy Jones, and he says this. God didn't have to make taste buds. He could have just made one kind of animal, armadillos. (laughs) He could have just made one kind of food, apples. Nice. Uh, But he didn't, did he? Why did God make different colors, different animals, different shapes? Why is there an explosion of tastes and colors in this world? Why are there different genres of music? Why are there like a million different kinds of fish? (laughs) Why? It's because God is demonstrating the jaw-dropping abundance of his divine creativity. When we look around and see the variety of everything that he has created, we didn't have to create all this variety This causes us to do two things. First is that it causes us to burst into worship. Revelation chapter 4, we get a kind of an inside glimpse of what's going on in heaven right now. And what do we see? We see the church gathered around God saying what? Verse 11, chapter 4, verse 11, they say this. Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things. And by your will, they existed and were created. 
God is rightfully worshipped when we marvel at his creation. Did you know that there is a European water spider that... (laughs) Sorry. uh, (laughs) That there is a European water spider that lives at the bottom of lakes, lives underwater, but breathes air. Here's how this weird little spider does it. Uh, It it, kind of swims up to the top of the surface of the water, does a little somersault, catches like a little bubble of air, I don't know how, uh, in its arms, and uh, goes to the bottom of the lake and kind of stuffs this little bubble of air down in the bottom of the lake. Goes up, does a somersault, does it again, and he's slowly building this little bubble of air at the bottom of a lake. I don't know how he gets into it without popping it, but he does. And they live in there. He creates a little a little bubble of air underneath the water where they live in, they, they mate in, they do their thing, and, you know, it's like they're breathing air at the bottom of the lake. This is crazy. Who would have created this? Why? God did. There's stuff that you just see when you start to, you know, some of you are in, you know, uh, biology classes or whatever, you start to learn about the physical human body and you're just like, this is crazy. It's so complicated. It's so jaw-dropping. Why is this here? It's because God is demonstrating over and over from every uh, m- you know, molecule to, to the you know, black holes that he is the divine creator and his creativity is unsurpassed and it should cause us to burst into worship. The second thing that it should cause us to do is actually want to care for his creation, want to care for his earth. God seems to care about it. What, is, what does Jesus say? That blessed are, are, are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. At the end of the Bible, we'll see this later on in the semester, God recreates, renews this created world to make a new heavens and new earth. God likes this material planet for some reason. And if we like God, we should like the earth as well. In this way... Uh, the environmentalists actually have it right. When everybody celebrates Earth Day come you know, next semester, that instinct is actually correct, although I'm sure most of the people that are mostly enthusiastic about that probably don't have the theological resources to know why they are so excited about caring for the Earth. But we should. We, as Christians, we have uh, the theological resources. It's an appropriate instinct to want to care for the things that God cares about, namely uh, the material world. So most of these uh, environmentalists typically buy into evolutionary theory. I mean, it's, it's kind of the only game in town if you deny the fact that there's a Christian creator God. But what I want to do is... is help you see that those two instincts, those two assumptions philosophically are at odds with with one another. Because basically, you know, the evolutionary theory, most of you probably are more up to speed on this than I am, but at least uh, the the idea is that there's some pre-existing matter that sort of a random coincidence, a random chance, a spark of light or something jump-started life. Life is created, and then, you know, you kind of have the rest of the natural selection. Everything kind of forms from that. But really, the origins of the universe started from this random cosmic accident. I mean, you know, random chance. It just kind of happened. It's one, one in a million or whatever the thing is. That's the explanation. So why give any value? Why care for something that is essentially, intrinsically, a random cosmic accident? 
If you spill over a glass of milk in your kitchen, you probably don't partition off caution tape and want to preserve it and care for it, right? <laughs> but that's, 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 the, that's the assumption behind wanting to care for an earth that you say is a random accident. But Christianity provides the actual theological resources to want to care for creation. Because we, what do we see? We see this is God's divine creativity in action. And we want to care for the things that God cares about. So, application number one, if you're not going to keep these little sheets that we passed out, leave them here and we'll recycle them. <laughs> you know? Seriously. We, we can talk about how to care for the earth. Not right now. So, creation is good. Creation is art. And the last thing that I want you to see is that creation is a clue. And what I mean by that is that creation is a we get a little clue in the story of the opening chapter of the Bible about how God operates. When the New Testament writers looked back at the story of creation, they, they picked up on a pattern, on a paradigm, on a uh, model. Because what do, they, what, what do we see? We see life blowing up into, dark, into darkness. We see chaos turning into order. We see something that is uh, ugly and messy into something that is beautiful. And so when the New Testament writers look back on the story of creation, they pick up on this pattern and they say, this is a clue as to how God operates even now. So Paul writes this in 2 Corinthians 4, 6. Uh, I'll just read it to you. You don't have to look it up. He says, for God who said light... Let me start over. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness. He's essentially quoting verse 3 has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. You see what he's saying here? He's looking back on creation and he's saying, you see how light explodes into darkness? You see how life is bursting into existence from non-life? That's the same way that God continues to fix and to redeem his creation even now. Because when you get united to Jesus, the same thing happens in your heart. The same thing happens in your life. This is why Paul in the very next chapter says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. But some of you can identify with that, with the darkness, with the chaos, with the feeling like I'm getting crushed underneath my own anxiety, my own sense of guilt. I don't know which end is up. I'm totally uh, disoriented being here. And you need what this passage is talking about. Life, beauty, order, meaning, something coming in from the outside to push out the darkness that is clouding up everything in your own heart. St. Augustine was a Christian in the 4th century. He's um, famous for a lot of different things, but one of the pieces of literature that he's most famous for that many of you probably know or have interacted with in literature classes here is uh, the Confessions. The first paragraph of that book ends this way. He writes, and he's talking to God, because you made us for yourself, our hearts are restless until they find rest in you. Some of your hearts are restless because they have not found rest yet in your Creator. Because basically when you deny your Creator, when you deny Jesus, you have to fill your heart with something. And if you're going to deny the Creator, then the only other options are things of creation. So it's like, okay, pick your poison. What's it going to be? Video games, alcohol, uh, 
sex, the affection that you get from your boyfriend or girlfriend, your relationship with your boyfriend or girlfriend, what are you going to fill that hole with? And you realize as you do this, this is the reason why I'm so restless. This is the reason why it feels so dark and chaotic and just out of control in my life. This is the reason why. And what you need is something to burst in from the outside. You need to be recreated. Order and meaning and beauty to come in when you look at the person and work of Jesus. Because the, the, the writer of the, uh, the, the very author of the story of Scripture writes himself in, the Creator writes himself in as a creature himself in the person of the Lord Jesus. And he comes and he lives the perfect life and gives you his track record. And he dies the death that you and I should have died. And he is raised from the dead to sort of inaugurate and kickstart this whole thing called the new creation. So when we look at the world around us and we see it covered with grime and with decay and with death and with darkness and with chaos, what is God doing? Is he just sitting there? He's not. He's invading and he's slowly recreating and repopulating and renewing the world. He is still at work. He's still fixing people. He's still renewing people and pointing them towards new creation. So the question I want to leave you with is this. What are you filling your hearts with today, tonight, this first week of school? Are you filling it with some aspect of creation and and having it function, even though it's good, having it function as if it's God? And because you're doing that, it's leaving you restless. It's leaving you feeling chaotic and dark and don't know which end is up? Are you filling your heart with creation or are you filling your heart with the Creator? The opening chapter of the Bible is an invitation for you to return to your Creator. And Jesus says, the way that you do that is through me. Put your faith in me. Lean into me. Trust into me. Fall into me. That's the question. Let's pray. Father, we pray that... uh, as we look at this opening uh, snapshot of what happened uh, at the creation of the world, we pray that you would uh, begin to draw our hearts to yourself. Our hearts do feel restless. We do feel uh, worn out and burnt out, even the first week of school. We feel like we are spinning our wheels and we're getting nowhere. We pray, Father, would you come and would you recreate those that do not know you, Would you give fresh amounts of grace to those that do and both uh, draw our hearts together to the Lord Jesus himself. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. We're going to sing one more song. Everybody, stand up. Let's sing. Thank you.